When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Neighborhood Podcast. I am your one of the hosts, Kevin Valentin. What's good, everybody? My name is Kyle Dabro. I'm also the co-host to the Neighborhood Podcast. Kevin, what's up, man? What's going on, brother? What's going on? I uh, wanted to give you a quick thank you for holding down the fort last week. Had a pretty big migraine going out there, but, uh, you know, just wanted to give a, a, a quick thank you, like I said, to you and to anybody out there, man. Anybody out there going through anxiety, um, uh, depression, mental health, everything. I mean, between work, personal life, relationship matters, everybody's got their own shit. Uh, obviously, I had my migraine yesterday, but that was due to some some uh some previous stress that I was going through and you know I just want to like I said just a quick little tidbit to anybody going out there everybody that's expressed themselves anybody that's that needs help don't be scared to ask for it you know don't be scared to take a step back rest recover talk to somebody uh, a girlfriend a parent a friend a dog I was sitting here talking to my dog like 20 minutes um like legitimately take care of yourself we all know that we're coming off of a year of major stress in the world between covid politics and whatnot so you know like i said it's like marshall lynch said <laughs> take care of your chickens and take care of your mental because it, it it makes a big difference and uh like i said i just wanted to thank kyle for for holding down the fort because thursday was pretty rough for me so like i said man if you got something going don't be scared to talk about it let it out and just just do your thing man don't be scared to express yourself but on a positive note kyle we got a whole lot of shit to talk about boy mm-hmm. holy shit Today on the agenda, guys, we're going to be talking about the Dodgers and the Padres series once again being probably the best rivalry in baseball right this moment, specifically Fernando Tatis absolutely destroying L.A. this past weekend. We're going to get into a little bit about the NFL draft. We're going to talk about uh, UFC 261 that happened over the weekend. Kyle's going to take a little bit of a deep dive into that. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, some NFL prospects that we believe may or may not kind of like take off in the league. Uh, we're going to get into some, some specific player news uh, involving Mac Jones. And then obviously the trade rumor that populated today for me and Rappaport with Julio Jones. And then we're going to have some uh, some NBA news, you know, just a little bit of an update with the postseason kind of being from, I, I want to say, what, like 12 games out were from the postseason, something like that, most teams. Yeah, it's like 10 to 12. I saw a report yeah. earlier. Granted, you know, we'll get into it later, but. I remember they said that John Wall is out for the remainder of the season. And oh, they, I didn't know that. Yeah, they said that um, he's dealing with some sort of hamstring injury. But that the fact that there's only 11 games left in the regular season for Houston, so and, and it's somewhere in between. Anyway, so yeah, yeah. Like at the most, I think it's maybe like 12 to 13 games left in the regular season. But yeah, it's somewhere within like 10 to 13 range. 
Yeah, we're just going to talk about, you know, some some quick updates. You know, L.A., a little bit on a skid. Anthony Davis coming back. Mavs on a little bit of a win streak. Stephen Curry still doing Stephen Curry things. And so on and so forth. So, like I said, to start it off, man, Kyle, holy shit, this Dodgers and Padres series for the last couple of weeks has been absolutely bonkers. Every game has pretty much been in a nail-biter. And for whatever reason, Fernando Tatis, like anything, dressed up in white and blue because, man, did he take off this weekend, bro. What? What the hell happened this weekend? You saw Fernando Tatis doing what he always does. And granted, he's only 22 years old, but he's ready to become the face of baseball. I know there's a lot of uh, a lot of space given to that for Mike Trout because Mike Trout's been the best baseball player that we've probably seen in the last, what, five to ten years just with the stretch that he's been on with for the Angels. Granted, he's on a bad team but he's the sole reason why that at least he's keeping that team afloat. But with Tatis, he had an amazing weekend. It's just that simple. It's one thing to hit like, you know, one, two home runs in a three, four game series. He hit five home runs in three straight games. He had a two home run game on Friday. One of them was against Clayton Kershaw on that Friday night matchup. And then he goes up against Trevor Bauer on Saturday night and ropes two more. I think it was oh, in back Trevor. to bat. I think it was in bat to bat at bats too. Yeah. And then Sunday night, he hits another one that got the Padres on the board. And even in the later stage of the game, he knocks in like an RBI single that got the Padres closer to coming back from the deficit that they were in. I believe on that Sunday night matchup, they were down seven to one and they ended up coming back and winning it eight to seven, eight to seven, 11 innings. So Tatis definitely made his impact and his mark on that game for sure. But when you just look at Fernando Tatis, this guy is just on one right now. And it's just the level of excitement that he brings to the game of baseball. Mind you, baseball is not the most entertaining game to watch. Playing it is one thing, but watching it can't get stale. But when you see this guy hitting dingers left and right against some aces, against arguably the best team in baseball right now, it's exciting to watch. And this is the best rivalry in baseball right now between the Padres, the Padres and the Dodgers. They just provide a, an electric atmosphere whenever these two teams play against each other. And it's like you and I talked about last week. When these two teams go at it, it's fun. There's a little bit of chirping, a little bit of chippiness, and I'm all for it. And I remember Trevor Bauer, he mentioned it in one of his post-game press conferences uh, after he gave up two home runs to Fernando Tatis. He had no problem with Tatis doing the bat flips and celebrating after he hit two home runs off two home runs off of him. It's just that's the space that baseball is in right now. A lot of guys will celebrate after they do something great, whether it's great pitching or great hitting if they want to flex after they get a home run or get a big hit you know the other team's got to be willing to take that it just comes with the space it comes with the territory but it's like we said last week i think there's a very good chance that we're going to see these two teams really go at it for the rest of the year whenever they face up against each other and then don't be surprised if they match up again in the playoffs in whatever round it is come october because it looks like these two teams are on a collision course right now. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I really honestly couldn't agree more. I mean, the way that Tatis is playing right now is just absolutely out of this world. The tear that he's just on specifically against the Dodgers. I mean, because his numbers aside from this past weekend aren't anything stellar. He's only batting 246, and he's got seven home runs. Five of them literally came within the last three days. So, I mean, like, he's not doing the greatest. But like Kyle said, his impact is being very much well recognized because of his situational hitting. Obviously, the Dodgers have the best record in baseball prior to this series. I believe they were 14 and like three or 14 and four. And obviously San Diego taking three out of the four games kind of flipped the power kind of a little bit in the NL mm-hmm. West. Obviously the Dodgers are still 15 and six. And the I believe the Padres are what, 12 and 11 or something like that. So I, I mean like- The Dodgers are 15 and seven. 15 and seven. But nevertheless, you know what I, Yeah, you know what I'm saying? The, the point of the matter is they're, they're, they're narrowing the gap and, you know, San Diego- like I said last week has always been kind of relatively trash for pretty much the relatively portion of this past decade and so on and so forth. But with the acquisition of certain players like Manny Machado, the development of Tatis, the addition of you Darvish and so on and so forth, this team has suddenly become kind of like the spark in the MLB. And and to Kyle's point about Tatis becoming the face of baseball, I think that's a little bit of a, a, a premature, a premature notion, but I mean, I see where he's coming from in terms of, He's got the the attitude for it. He's got the skill for it. He's got the bat for it. You know what I'm saying? Like his his flashiness on the on the field. It's just he looks like he's having fun out there. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to find players nowadays that take it as fun as this kid. And I say this kid like I'm 50. This kid's 22. I'm 26. I'm not even that much older than him. But it just goes to show when players like him succeed, baseball does well. Mm-hmm. Like him, Tim Anderson. Uh, you know, the, the, the player on the White Sox, when you have, you know, players that just celebrate and are just enjoying every at bat, every play that they could possibly make, even Trevor Bowers antics on the mound with him doing the Conor McGregor and whatnot, you know what I'm saying? Even like Ronald Acuna Jr. Yeah, that's just, I think it's good for baseball. And to Kyle's point, when Trevor was talking about this on Saturday, I'm going to get into a little quick moment really quick. Um, so excuse me for this tangent or not tangent, but anyway, uh, Trevor Bowers basically had a three-minute segment. Somebody asked him if he had any problems with the on-the-field antics that Tatis did after he hit dingers off of him. And Trevor basically said, if you're in the mindset of when you strike somebody out, he's speaking from a pitcher's perspective, and you strike somebody out in whatever situation it is, whether you're mowing people down straight through the inning or you're coming back and you're getting a clutch strikeout and you're celebrating, whether you're clapping at your glove, you're yelling in the air, that's an act of celebration. He said, so we're at the professional level. Why can't they celebrate when they hit one off me? How rude is that? If I'm yelling in your face after I strike you out and I'm talking shit and I'm walking into the dugout, I'm like, fuck yeah. Mm -hmm. But when someone hits a home run off me, I get upset. Trevor literally said, and I quote, that makes you soft. He couldn't have been more right because I just said it. When a pitcher's hype, a pitcher gets hype. Nobody wants to stop a pitcher. Nobody has any problem with a pitcher celebrating. But the second someone does a bat flip, the second someone celebrates, the second someone does anything around the bases that someone doesn't like, it's an act of disrespect. I think we need to throw those old fashioned baseball rules out the window because nowadays we're coming into a younger generation of people who genuinely like to celebrate. I'm not saying stare the pitcher down, flip them off, hold your nutsack, you know, say a lot of stupid shit. But dude, if I'm hitting fucking moonshots off you 400 plus feet and you're one of the better pitchers in baseball, you got a problem with me getting hyped, but if I was to whiff at your fucking curveball, you get to celebrate. I think it's a lot of bullshit. And I think that, that that correlation of the second someone hits a ball and it goes yard and they do a bat flip, 
all right, cool. I'm hitting you the next time you come up. Trevor's right, man. That's soft. Players deserve to celebrate. It's Trevor literally said to get to this level is hard enough. To hit a home run is even harder. If I'm talking, why can't you talk? Mm-hmm. And Tatis obviously did the antic of covering his eye because apparently in spring training, uh, Bauer pitched to Tatis with one eye open in spring training. So he kind of mocked him back and ran around the base with one eye. He kind of stutter stepped to go over third base. His bat flips were a little bit on the um, a little bit on the more you know animated side. He flaunted again, it. He flaunted it. Yeah, but who the fuck cares, bro? Trevor Bauer's one of the best pitchers in baseball. This is one of the best rivalries. Your teammates are the, the, the te- both teams are talking shit the whole time. So what? Enjoy it. It makes it fun, and it makes the obvious. It makes the opposition team. Oh, oh, oh! That's how you gonna act. All right, cool. So you do something. You strike that guy out next time, or you go hit a dinger and do something cool. Bro, I just think it makes baseball better, man. And, and and love Trevor Bauer's point of view because he's it's coming from his mouth directly and it's legit. What do you feel about this? And he talked about it for like three straight minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, what are you supposed to do? Not celebrate, not get excited. You just hit a home run against a major league baseball player. Do you know how many kids dream of just being in the in, in the in the stadium, let alone hitting? Come on, man. Like it's still a it's still a game. People gotta celebrate, just like NBA players celebrate when they hit threes or they block somebody, or an NFL player when they moss somebody. It's the same concept. Baseball has always been on that pedestal of like you need to be more respectful, or you know, you, there's there's like unwritten rules. Everybody knows there's unwritten rules in all sports, but to not let a, 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 the opposing offensive player celebrate, I just think that's double that's a double standard, and it's changing quickly. We all remember what happened. Jose Bautista hit that home run in the postseason, and he kind of started the bat flip trend. Dude, baseball went nuts. They were like, he's disrespectful. He's rude. He's absolutely out of control. Yeah, bro, the narratives that came out of baseball when he did that were ridiculous and uncalled for. He hit a walk-off home run in the playoffs at home. What is he supposed to do? Thank you, everybody. No, bro, get hyped. You know how hard that is? And like I said, man, I I, I think Trevor said it perfectly. I think that this rivalry is good. And I think the attitudes like that in moderation, of course, like I said, nobody needs to be disrespectful, are just healthy for the sport. Yeah, I think the way that I see it is, it's like you said, it does get to a point, though, like where it may be like too excessive. But to do like a little bat flip to maybe just kind of celebrate a little bit after getting a home run, I don't have a problem with that. It's like when, I don't know, there's a, there's a certain threshold that I think that we could all kind of agree is maybe a step too far. Like if you're like dead ass staring somebody down, like the entire time, or like if you hit a home run and you're like looking at them for like two to three seconds before you start trotting down the first baseline, there's probably just certain examples that you can come up with. I'm not really the best one to come up with examples of like certain celebrations that may go too far, but what he did over the weekend, I don't think that was wrong. I don't think, see anything wrong with that yeah no it's 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 i would say excuse me puppy hair um i think it's like if if, if i would if, if you were to pitch something and we're, we're going at it we have a, a known hatred for each other or just a rivalry you know what i'm saying just a chippy attitude towards each other when you're talking shit you strike me out i come back and i and i hit a, i hit a shot off of you if i'm talking shit back to you that's fine but if i do the bat flip and i'm talking shit around the entire bag you know the entire diamond and i'm just ripping you i'm cursing it that's uncalled for yeah a bat flip and you just trot around the base so why it's not that serious like it's mm-hmm. just i don't know it, it depends on the player it depends on the person and the type of like the type of individual that you are 
there's no reason to be soft because everybody celebrates for everything that you do in a major sport. And I think that people need to get that narrative out of their head that it's disrespectful because it's not. I mean, I remember one example from a couple of years ago. You could probably remember this one pretty clearly. Um, do you remember when A-Rod got beaned? Uh, yes, sir. At the sir. Red Sox game? Yes, sir. And he, and yes, he was sir. getting – and he was getting Ryan Dempster. Yeah. And then he comes back later in the game, and it's a bomb to straightaway center. And trust Dead me, he, he, he let Dempster know about it rounding the bases too. Yeah, but that's different because Dempster was trying to hit him, like I want to say two or three straight at bats, and he dinged him on one of them. And Dempster still didn't get ejected. So, yes, I remember that game vividly. I, b- I believe we still lost that game, if I remember correctly. But that's a different kind of animosity. That's a Boston Yankee hatred back in the day when we were, like, going back and forth consistently. Mind you, you know, we haven't had a good rivalry game in a while because we both kind of suck right now. But anyway, um, you know what I'm saying? That's it's just that's crossing the line. You know, the intent of hitting someone and then shit-talking around the bases, that's – that's both people doing that to each other, but bro, just celebrations. I don't care if you strike me out. Cool. Get hype. You deserve it. If I hit one off you get hype. You deserve it. Nobody but cares. as far, but as far as Tatis goes, where do you think that he is right now? Just the space that he's in with the way that he's been playing over the last couple of days or so. I mean, he's bro. We got 162 games. Like you said, the Dodgers are 15 and seven. The, the, the Padres are like 12 and 11 or 13 and 11. Like we're only 20 some odd games into the season. He's got to do it consistently, man. It's hard to be consistent in baseball, bro. There's there's tears, there's there's hot streaks like anything else. There's hit streaks, but you know Tatis has got to do it for a long time. Last year he really blew up on the scene and he had an incredible baseball year. And I mean, like for the limited amount of time that the season was, I think sixty or seventy games, whatever it was, um, Tatis did his best to keep it entertaining. Obviously, with no fans and whatnot, he still did his thing and. I mean, it, it, like I said, I, I need to see more consistency. I'm, I'm definitely not going to put him in that category of the potential face of baseball because he's really only got a season and a half under his belt. But the potential, like I said before, of his style, his playing style, his attitude, and then his power at the plate. I mean, he can be one of the faces of baseball, like one of the better players. But, dude, as long as Mike Trout walks and breathes oxygen and he's in the MLB – He's going to be the face of baseball till he retires, in my opinion. He may go down as probably one of the greatest baseball players in history. It's different, though, between the two of them because obviously Fernando's a little is Fernando's only 22 years old. Mike yeah. Trout is 30? 30 something, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, came into Mike the Tr- league at 18, I think. 18, Mike, Trout's been, Mike Trout's been around for a, a long time. It's just that when you look at Tatis, the way that he does it is that he brings a lot of swagger. He brings a lot of excitement, and he's a great hitter. Now, yeah. it's, but it's oh. like you said, though, he does have to be consistent. He has to keep it going throughout the entire year, and this year will be a good test because they are going to play 162 games this year compared to the only 60, 65 games that they played last season. And I'll say this, though, I'll, and I say this pretty comfortably, too. If he keeps this pace up for the rest of the year, and maybe going into next year, I'm saying that he's got a very good chance of becoming the potential face of baseball. I'm not saying that he is that right now. That's way too far of a jump. I'm not going to go that far. But- yeah, I mean, even even if he does do a great job this year and has a great carry on the next season, bro, we're talking about only but- three full seasons. It takes a while to become the face, dude, like a long time. But look, I have to be honest here. It's like I mentioned at the top. Baseball is tough to watch sometimes just because it can't get stale. And yeah. if there's not a lot going on, 
there's not really much of an incentive to really keep watching. When this dude shows up at the plate, I got my eyes glued to the TV or I got my eyes glued to the laptop. Very similar to what Aaron Judge did a couple years ago when he was coming into his own. Yeah. And it's it's very similar with Tatis. I think a little bit, it's a little bit different than Judge simply just because of, like I mentioned, it's that swagger. He's got the confidence to go out there and hit bombs consistently pretty much against the best pitching that any team can throw at him. So, you know, we have to still wait and see on Tatis. He's still young. He's only 22 years old. So he yeah, has a I, that's lot why I said that we got a long way to go before. But he's he's off to a very good start this year. 100%. 100%. And look, I mean, I think it's a safe bet that he's probably going to hit somewhere in between, what, 30 to 40 home runs this year, somewhere around there. I was going to say 35 to 40, yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah Again, so, you know, barring any injuries or any yeah. setbacks or anything like that, I, I could see that, yeah. Yeah. It, it's like I said, that rivalry between the two of those teams, though, it's going to be fire for the rest of the year. Yeah. So whenever these two teams play against each other, man, I want to see Tatis do his best against the Dodgers. And I want to see like the same thing from the Dodgers. I want to see Mookie play his best. I want to see those Dodgers aces go out and try to shut down the Padres. These are two great Hard teams. Offense like that, yeah. And it's, I tell you what, you know, when you look at the Dodgers, that, that pitching rotation that they have, you dart, I'm sorry. Um, they got Clayton Kershaw, Trevor Bauer, and they have Darvish, correct? No, you Darvish on the okay. Dodgers. Okay. I mean, on the Padres. That, that, that's why I said, that's why I kind of held back. But even so, when you have those two pitchers, it's a tough top two to go up against, bro. Big time. Big time. It's tax. tough. You're up Damn. next, bro. No, I'm sitting here. I'm just thinking about it like, like, Clayton Kershaw has dominated the MLB for so long, and he had that that narrative of him just being terrible in the playoffs, and then obviously he kind of shuck it off last year with the Dodgers winning the World Series. But, I mean, like, then you throw Trevor Bauer in the mix, who's one of the more animated pitchers in baseball, who's one of the more, I don't know, kind of the more shit-talking kind of players, you know, the out of the spectrum, out of the norm pitchers, but it's still, like, one of the most dominant pitchers in the mm-hmm. last couple of years. And then you obviously have the high-powered offense of the Dodgers in general, and you're just like, bro, how how does a team continue to just improve? I mean, they have one of the best hitters in Mookie Betts, and, it, bro, that, that roster's stacked. And they're not struggling, but, I mean, like, bro, when they play the, 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 the Padres, they almost look human. Like, they look like they can be beat. And then, and just, I don't know, man, this series is good because it, it brings the Dodgers down to earth. It shows the potential the Padres have. And I just think it's, like I said at the top, like you said, it's just good for baseball right now, man. I'm just, I'm excited. I'm just happy baseball is in 100% full swing. Like that, that, that slump everybody's in that preseason or first couple of weeks in the season of shaking off rust. The Yankees even knocked off like three wins the other, this weekend we lost yesterday, but you know, we found ways to get back acclimated in there. Obviously Marcus Stroman had a crazy play right before the weekend. Uh, I mean like the dude, I'm, I'm just, I'm just pumped. Baseball's back, and I can't wait to just have more conversations about these rivalries because holy shit, if we have more weekends like this, bro, I I can wait till football, bro. I can wait till football. We gonna have baseball like that. I'm, I'm straight. I'm like I'm good. I'm dead serious. Like I love watching this shit. 
It's it's funny watching these two teams go at it though with the Dodgers and the Padres. I really think the Padres have like the mentality to beat this team though, because because yeah. obviously they know the Dodgers like when it comes from a talent perspective are probably a better roster. Yeah, on paper but, too. Yeah, but when it comes to like the Padres mentality, that chippy mentality that they bring, and kind of that that confident swagger that they bring, I think Fernando Tatis is the big reason why. That team has the will to go up and beat the Dodgers. Now, granted, this is just one four-game series in late April. So a lot of these teams are really still trying to figure out, you know, what's going to be, like, the best rotation to have moving forward, What like what's, like, the best lineup to maintain throughout the season. So they're still trying to figure things out. And it's like once they get into the groove of the regular season, I mean, when they start really hitting their strides, that's when I think these series are going to be really fun. I'm talking about like when we get into like, you know, July, August. I w- yeah. I was going to say like July and August, like when you kind of get into the dog days of summer, that's when you're really going to see these. I think these teams even go to another level. Oh yeah, dude. We're talking mid season baseball. Everybody's in a hundred percent game mode. Like, yo, we in the middle of this right now. Like this is oh, what yeah. it is. Oh, oh yeah. my God. Then we got, you know, like the all-star break and all that shit. So yeah, no, summer baseball is the best. I love going to the ballpark, having a beer and just chilling in the freaking sun and watching and watching the Yankees, bro. Like it's, it's like one of my favorite things to do in the world. So summer baseball is intense, obviously 162 games. Not every game is as important as a football or basketball game, but dude, when you start getting towards that middle ladder kind of end of the season kind of thing, bro, it's, mm-hmm. it starts to get intense and I'm excited, but to hop off into our next topic, uh, Kyle is going to get into an in-depth review of UFC 261. I, as I've said a hundred times, I'm just not a UFC fan to the extent as I should be. But nevertheless, I did see enough highlights to say, holy shit, this is this sport is kind of insane. So, I mean, Kyle, the floor is all yours, man. What the hell went on 261, bro? I've been waiting for this segment for two <laughs> days, bro. Okay. <laughs> I know Kev is not the biggest fan when it comes to the UFC. I get that. And I've been texting him about it every time that something lit or amazing happens in the UFC. But I got to be 100% honest with you guys. This main card, and not only the main card, but the entire card was just awesome. The entire weekend. Simply because this was the first card in over a year where you finally got to see a full capacity crowd show up at the arena for the UFC card. And Kevin, and I talked about this at the beginning of um, before we started the episode, these fighters were definitely impacted by the fans showing up for this because these fights were great. They were, you saw some great knockouts. You saw some just battles that took place in this card over the weekend and it started right at the beginning. Like the, the way that the UFC had, has these cards set up is that there's kind of like three rounds. You have the, the early preliminaries, then you have the regular preliminaries, and then you have the main card. People were going nuts in the early prelims around like 5.30, 6 o'clock. It, it, these are people that you don't really even know. They're just kind of getting their start in the UFC. And even with the fans showing up to that, they were going nuts. And then obviously as you know, you started getting later into the night and you started knowing the names, that's when a lot more people actually got into their seats and started watching the matches. And it was just great. 
I loved it. You have to give really a lot of credit to Dana White for being able to pull off this event. I know he's been talking about holding a full capacity event for the UFC for a couple of weeks now. And I think he hit it off with flying colors. So you have to give a lot of kudos for what the UFC was able to put on this weekend. But I got to talk about this main card. This main card was nasty. I'm going to start right up at the top. You got Kamaru Usman going up against Jorge Masvidal. Mind you, this is the second fight between them. They fought last year. And the crazy thing about last year's matchup was Jorge Masvidal took the fight against Kamaru Usman on six days notice. And he dropped 20 pounds in under a week to make the weight for that fight. And obviously he was definitely impacted by that simply just because dude, when you drop 20 pounds in under a week, your cardio is going to be wrecked going into that fight. And that's what ended up happening. Kamaru ended up winning the fight. So going into this one, these guys were rested. Kamaru had just come off a great win, a great matchup against Gilbert Burns a couple of months ago where he knocked him out as well. And I was thinking that this fight was going to be a five round fight or at least had a five round potential that was going to eventually go to a decision. And boy, was I proven wrong. Freaking Kamaru Usman laid a hell of a right hand on Jorge Masvidal and knocked him out cold. It was so crazy that you saw either the sweat or the water freaking fly off of Masvidal's face after that right landed on his face. It nice. was nasty. I saw that video. So, and the crazy thing about Kamaru is that Kamaru's background is in wrestling. He is more of a grappler. And in these last couple of fights that he's had, whether it's been against Jorge Masvidal, whether it's been against Gilbert Burns, and even Masvidal the first time last year, he has been getting consistently better at his striking. And then this fight, he took it to a whole new level because he not that Jorge Masvidal. Mind you, the last time that Masvidal got knocked out was over a decade ago. And I don't even think he was in the UFC yet. He's had over 50 pro fights. And this was the first time that he got knocked out. It was just insane. And even Masvidal said after the fight, said, I was expecting more wrestling from Kamaru. And, man, he laid one hell of a right hand and he got me. And I remember even Masvidal said that he has my number, so you have to give a lot of respect to him on nets it's just it was a great fight granted it only got to the second round but even so great fight great knockout by Kamaru and I think it really goes without saying at this point that Kamaru might be the best pound for pound for pound fighter in the UFC he's by far and away the best fighter in the welterweight division and a lot of these guys that he's gone up against already He's won fairly convincingly. The last close fight that he had was over two years ago against Colby Covington. Since then, he's pretty much waxed everybody he's gone up against. So got to give a lot of credit to him. And it's going to be a tough task to try to beat this guy, especially now that he's starting to strike well. He is starting to become a complete fighter. And it's very scary when you have to contend with striking and grappling. I, man, I pray for the next guy that has, has to go up against him because they're going to have a tough task to deal with with him. And then to move on to the other title fights that we had, we had Rose Nami Yunus 
Uh, she had a knockout against Weili Zhang. And this one, this one probably had the most wild reaction from the crowd simply because of the front kick that she was able to land on Zhang. It was nasty. And it was, only with, it was only within like the first minute, minute and a half of the fight. And usually I've always kind of thought like the first round, most fighters are just trying to get a feel for each other, trying to figure out, you know, where some weak points that they can expose in some later rounds. But Nami Yunus made that left foot, just put that left foot to her face and then knocked her on her back. And then she just went for, she just went for hammer fist and she got the, and she got the knockout. And it was crazy simply just because this is the first time that a woman in the UFC has been able to recapture a title that they previously held. So she held the straw weight belt a couple of years ago. She ended up losing it. And then she got it back against Zhang. And she provided some great fireworks with that knockout over the weekend. Like, it's like I mentioned last week. If you guys get a chance to see these fights, you can watch the replays on this on ESPN. Go check them out. It was phenomenal what Rose was able to do. And good for her. She's she's had a very prosperous career in the UFC. She's had some ups. She had some downs when she lost the belt about a year ago. But she came back strong. And you want to talk about style points? Landing that, that front left kick was crazy and it's it's always fun watching the reactions from freaking joe rogan john anik and daniel cormier they were going off the rails with the reactions the reaction videos are just gonna be awesome with these three guys back in the booth and to talk a little bit about the last side of fight we had valentino shevchenko go up against jessica andrage and shevchenko was just a boss she's a beast and the thing is she basically beat Jessica at her own game. Jessica's kind of known more as a grappler. And Valentina said, okay, I see you. Not only am I going to beat you down, I'm going to beat you down at your own game, and there's nothing you're going to do about it. She was phenomenal from beginning to end. She controlled the entire fight. Granted, it only went two rounds. But she just put incredible pressure on Jessica the entire night. And when it got into the second round, there was just no match. Once Jessica got on her back, she couldn't get up. She tried. She couldn't make it happen. And Valentina just put more and more pressure on her to the point where she just had to tap. It's just like, it is what it is. Valentina is one of the best women fighters that we've seen in the UFC, right alongside with Rose Namajunas and Amanda Nunes. She's, she's been unstoppable. And in that flyweight division, there's not much, there's not much talent to really go up against her at this point. She's basically saying at the end of these post-fight conferences or these post-fight uh, interviews with Rogan, it's like I'm waiting for somebody to come out and show me what they've got. And as far as I'm concerned, it's not going to be any, anybody anytime soon. She's amazing. Ain't nobody got nothing. <laughs> exactly. She's she's just waxing every girl that she goes up against. So, like I said. A great card this weekend. If you guys got the chance to watch it, man, I, I hope that you guys enjoyed it. I do want to talk a little bit about Chris Weidman. He suffered a catastrophic uh, leg injury this past weekend going up against Uriah Hall. It was really tough to watch. And it was 
interesting watching the replay because the replay was interesting from this perspective. So what happened is Chris Wyman, he had a leg kick in like the first like 10 to 15 seconds of the round. It was round one. And does this leg kick and his leg just shatters. The crazy thing is when you watch the replay, he doesn't really experience pain instantaneously. It's not until he puts his foot back on the ground. That's when you see him just writhing in pain. And it was just, it was just awful to see. It really, it brings up some, some awful memories with, um, with Anderson Silva breaking his leg in a very similar manner against Chris Weidman. It was against Weidman. This was like 10 years ago. And it's just, it's so ironic. I don't know if it was 10 years ago, but it, I mean, it was like five to 10 years ago. It was a while. I remember, ago. I remember the break though, Ugh. but it was against Weidman. It's just, it's so ironic that that guy had basically the same injury. And, and, and Kev, these are very uncommon injuries. These, these do not happen very often in the UFC. Like where you see this type of significant leg injury, but those 2013. Kids, okay. So it was almost 10 years ago. But that's the thing with those leg kicks, man. Those leg kicks, they could be brutal dishing them out. But if your leg is not up to snuff, and I imagine he probably had some micro fractures or maybe some stress fractures uh, that he didn't know about going into that fight. Because usually when you see something like that, there's usually some sort of like underlying medical issue that they d- didn't see or that he didn't know about um, when you see that type of break. And I remember Kevin and I, we talked about this before the episode even started. We were saying that um, it's very odd to see these injuries and it just sucks. It really does suck to see these injuries because Weidman's kind of like at the tail end of his career. And um, it's just, it's really unfortunate for him. But outside of that, I thought Dana put on a spectacular performance or he put on a great show this weekend and I just I can't wait to see more uh, from the UFC, and I hope that these fans are allowed back into the arena because the atmosphere was electric from beginning to end. Yeah, no, I mean, like Kyle said, obviously, um, I'm not a UFC connoisseur, as some would say, um, but I'm thankful that I do have Twitter, and I am very thankful that you know I was able to see a lot of the highlights and a lot of the stories and the reactions, and it it, it was cool. You know what I'm saying? I definitely could see myself watching UFC going forward, you know, if electrifying fights like that were to happen. So I can, you know, I can see, but again, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that I, I, I will, or I won't. So, I mean, it's, it's an entertaining sport, but for whatever reason, I just can't get myself to do it. Um, but like Kyle said, in regards to the fans, um, it makes that much of a difference. The atmosphere, it makes the fight. It makes the players, the athletes, whatever sport you want to talk about. It makes the, just the overall presence of, of, a, of a sports event just that much better when fans are in the stands. And I can't imagine sitting there at a fight where legitimately you're feeding off of the crowd and you're just sitting there going blow for blow with your, with your matchup. And you're just like, Oh my God, this feels so good. As opposed to all the previous fights over the last year, the majority of them, if not all of them were pretty much empty and you're sitting there fighting and you're, and you're hearing echoing and squeaking and you know, you hitting the mat or whatever. It's just, it's the point of the crowd makes a difference. Dana put on a great show, like you said. Some of these fights are absolutely insane. I almost wish I no, I definitely wish I would have watched them because some of these knockouts were absolutely fucking insane. Um, 
But yeah. shout out to Dana, man. He did it. I mean, not a lot of other uh, sports can say that they had full capacity and, and, you know, and they had a great successful event and they did, they did really good. So, I mean, maybe this is the blueprint of how sports will kind of go back into some normalcy in the future. But I mean, Dana pulled it off perfectly fine and God willing, everybody was safe. It was weird. And it was like when I was watching, like just watching the intros with Bruce Buffer and just seeing the reaction from the crowd there, it's getting, it gets to the point now, like where the crowd is starting to just recite what Buffer says in his intros. Like, we haven't been able to hear that for over a year in these fights because and most it probably of, feels weird. It, it's weird, but it feels right again. It feels like yeah. this is the way that it's supposed to be. It's the way that it's always been. It's just for the last year, you, you've had to put it on hold. And I just, I love the fact that the fans were able to come back and it really does make a difference because these fighters were hyped. You, you could just tell just the energy in the building was there. The commentators, they were, they knew that they were definitely impacted by just the fans being there. So there's no way that you can't tell me, there's no way you can tell me that these guys weren't impacted by the crowd being there feeding off of the energy that they provide. So it's good. It's been a year of no fans in the stands. And most of the fights that have been taking place, they're mostly in the UFC Apex in Las Vegas. So, you know, we'll see what happens with the whole COVID thing. I know a lot of these sports uh, organizations are considering going back to full-time or full capacity sometime later this year. I think it just really depends on the league and then depends on the team in each state. But what Dana was able to pull off with the UFC in Florida in Jacksonville last week, you just you gotta clap it up. It's just I loved yeah. it. I loved every second of it, and it finally kind of gave that that first impression of what normalcy kind of looks like again. Probably felt amazing, honestly. You know, yeah. I can't wait till Yankee Stadium is full and the American Airlines Center is full. So I mean, I, I just I'm happy that somebody was able to do it. I'm happy that it had the success that it did, and I'm happy that the event actually showed out and it wasn't like a boring evening or like you know what I'm saying or like dragged on fights. Like no, they were entertaining all the way through, and everybody had a great time. I know I saw some famous actors. I think we saw Cuba Good, Cuba Gooding Jr. He was just off drunk off his ass. Off, he was on the sauce, bro. He was like off. Everybody was there. Tom Brady was there. Just a a number of professional athletes and celebrities were just back out, and it was just like it it almost felt like a red carpet event when I saw the amount of famous people that were there. It's like, oh my god, everybody's here. Fuck it, I'm gonna go. And it was crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just. Like you said, it felt normal again. Dana puts on a great show. And this card was fantastic. Outside of the Weidman injury, that was just devastating to watch. It was just, you really, you really hate to see a guy go out like that. It's just, it's awful. But outside of that. For those of you with weak stomachs, I probably would advise against watching it. it, So just tread carefully. It's a tough watch. And I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good with watching significant injuries. That one was a tough one for me. So it's just, it's just, it's just so visceral. There's just a reaction for everybody. There were people crying in the stands because it was just so gruesome. It's, it's one of those you just, you really hate to see, but outside of that, man, this card was spectacular. And I just hope that it kind of paves the way for the rest of the year. And 
man, there were some vicious knockouts, dude. That Usman one was insane. I loved it. And Usman's not really known as a striker. The fact that he knocked Jorge Masvidal out like that, Masvidal is usually the one out, out there baptizing people. I mean, Usman put him to sleep, bro. It was Hey, man, it was these incredible. things happen, like you always say. Hey, Usman's, but then, uh, a, Usman's a bad dude, just, man. He's a bad dude. I, I'm just, I, bro, can you imagine, like, professionally or even just out in the street getting hit like that? Like, bro, like, I might not wake up bro, until, like, next week. I don't their, know. their hands are legitimately weapons. Yeah. They are, I mean, you do not want to mess with these guys. These guys are cut from a different cloth. These guys are just different. Bro, is it bad that I envision, like, when I see knockouts like that, like, I envision myself in that position. And you know that guy in House of Highlights that does all of those edits? I just, I see myself getting hit, and I see myself floating in another dream somewhere, like, in another universe, and I'm just like, fucking shit, dude. People get fucking waxed, and it's just insane. I'm just waiting for somebody to, like, come out with an edit and say, finish him. They did that. They did the Mortal Kombat one, like, a couple weeks ago. That's always a good one. I always love when they do that little. They had an Avengers one. It was hysterical. Like it was a combination. Yeah. I think it was like it was like it was like, with, it was like Thor, with Thor's hammer. Yeah, it was fire. <laughs> yeah, Dude, it was. Some of these that guy. Who, shout out to the man that does those edits because holy shit, those are perfect. Like some of those situational ones are just great, and I I I love every second of it. But um, to transition into our next segment. Um, we are going to talk a little bit about the NFL draft. And of course the Yankees are still losing three to one. Um, at least we scored though. Right. So still the losing. NFL draft is, is, yeah, you're right. The NFL draft is on Thursday. Um, I know for a fact I'm happy as a pig and shit because football is my love. So, I mean, this is kind of the first step of getting everything back to that kind of normalcy because everybody knows football is like the root of all happiness in this world. And if you deny that you're a damn liar, but, uh, anyway, so the draft is at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, there will be players in attendance at the draft, and supposedly Robert Roger Goodell was vaccinated or whatever, so people are going to be allowed to have the commissioner, blah, 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 blah. So Kyle and I are going to just do a quick little dive at our top five prospects available, and if we believe that, you know, how far they're going to go in their career, whether they're superstar level, whether they'll be average, or whether or not, you know, they'll, they'll kind of just, like, fizzle out. But, uh, Kyle, I'm going to go first. Um, in no particular order, I'm just going to name my my top five players available. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence is, is Mr. Numero Uno, man out of Clemson. Deadly with the deep ball, tall, fast, poised, accurate. I mean, Trevor's got pretty much the entire package at 6'6", sitting there at 220, uh, 220 pounds. Uh, obviously, the Jacksonville Jaguars are more than likely, unless they wake up drunk, they will probably be picking Trevor Lawrence immediately. Um, I would probably say the, the second best player on this would probably have to be Justin Fields, in my opinion, just because I believe Justin Fields is a better quarterback than Zach Wilson. And I also believe that he is a better potential prospect than a wide receiver if they were to go, because I think that Justin Fields has that potential uh, win now impact because of what he brings to the table. Um, I know that because of his condition, I forget what it is. We looked it up the other day. We got the reports that he has some kind of rare disorder that he may or may not outgrow. Um, it kind of hindered his draft stock. And then obviously his the, the other rumors of his, you know, lack of urgency on the field or maybe his dedication to his work ethic. Other than all of that, you know, outside noise, I think Justin Field really has the potential. Um, if I'm going to go into depth, I really think that Kyle Pitts, the tight end out of Florida, is 
some kind of freak of nature. He has that kind of Travis Kelsey effect going. I mean, the man can do it all. His catch radius, his vertical, his strength, his speed. I mean, he could just genuinely do it all. The best tight end in college football last season. And I think that he is going to be an immediate impact, just a special, special, special player to whatever team he goes to. I'm just crossing my fingers and hoping to God that it isn't Atlanta because obviously we're going to talk about it later, but the rumor of them having to trade some of their best players because they are well over the cap and they not, they might not even have enough money to sign all of their draftees this weekend. Um, there's a lot of things going on in Atlanta that I don't like. And if Kyle Pitts, obviously with Florida being my team, goes to a shitty team and isn't even able to succeed, it's kind of going to be not only a waste of a pick, but a waste of a few years for Kyle. Um, my next player has got to be uh, Jamar Chase. That guy obviously didn't play last season. He opted out due to COVID, but when he was on the field with Joe Burrow and Justin Jefferson, we all know that that man was an absolute animal. Um, he even had better statistics than Justin, and some say just straight out that he is better than Justin, and that's kind of crazy to say considering the damn rookie season that Justin Jefferson had. So, I mean, who knows if the year off would help, hurt. Maybe his body's rested. Maybe he's out of shape. Who knows? But, you know, according to his agent and according to Justin, uh, Jamar Chase, he has been participating very heavily, practicing and working out and staying in shape. So we got to hope that he is still at that level that he was just uh, just a year ago. And then I'm kind of torn up in my fifth pick because I want to say it's going to be that offensive lineman out of Oregon because of the ability that he has at the offensive lineman position, the strength and the ability to kind of rotate and, you know, have that flexibility at his position. But I also want to throw Devonta Smith out there, the wide receiver out of Alabama. The man is literally six feet, 166 total pounds, and he is absolutely a just a, a freak of nature at the receiver position. I mean, he may not be the biggest, the strongest, and the fastest, but for whatever reason, we were talking about it before, Alabama breeds two things, maybe three things, depending if we're talking about specific positions, running backs, wide receivers, and defensive players. And boy, the receivers that have come out of Alabama in the last decade have just been out of this world. And number one is obviously Julio Jones. You got Amari Cooper, Devonta Smith. It's dude. If you were to make an all pro Alabama team, just those three names alone. Are you kidding me right now? Like, how do you guard them? You can't. I don't think it's possible. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I would probably lean towards. Devonta Smith, because of the playmaking ability that he has with his route running and his his breakaway speed and his ability to get open. But at the same time, I don't want to downplay uh, Penny Sewell. Penny Swell, I don't know how he pronounces it. Um, him sitting at 6'6", 330 can be a massive improvement to any offensive line in this league. And mm -hmm. the power that he brings to an offense and that that stable portion of that offensive line, his, his ability to hold it down. It is important in the NFL. We all know that having a good offensive line leads to winning football games. So I know a lot of people are overshadowing him with a lot of these offensive players, but we cannot forget without an offensive line, you don't really have much of an offense. So those are my five. That's a good five. It's going to be kind of similar for me. Um, first things first, number one, it's Trevor Lawrence. This is the easiest pick for me simply just because he is the quintessential QB prospect out of this draft. Granted, this is a very heavy QB draft class this year because you got Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. All of these guys are could potentially be first round draft picks. I know at least three of them are, and probably the fourth with Trey Lance. So, just with Trevor Lawrence, he's going to be on the Jaguars. It would be absolutely stunning if he doesn't end up on that on that team. 
Um, if Jacksonville makes a 180, it just seems like that's the case with them. Um, Trevor Lawrence is great. He's great in the pocket. He can extend plays with his feet, and he's quick. Once he gets oh, out, yeah. the, once he gets out in the open space, he can actually. He has that getaway speed. He has that breakaway speed. We saw it against Ohio State. Was yeah. it Ohio State? Yeah, it was against Ohio yeah, State. It was wild. Yeah, and that was wild. A, he outran the entire defense. Yeah, and I believe that was two years ago when he when he did that that breakaway one. I don't know if it was last. It wasn't this past. No, season. it wasn't. I know it was. I was. Yeah, you're right. I think it was in the college football playoff, though, for sure. Yeah, I think it was in the semifinal. Wild, yeah. wild. So when you when you look at that, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be just fine. I think it's like I said, he's at the top of the pecking order for the draft class this year for quarterbacks and he's going to be a Jacksonville Jaguar. That's just the way that I see it. And then after that, I'm going to agree with you for number two. I think Justin Fields is a better prospect than Zach Wilson, simply just because I understand that Zach Wilson's probably going to be picked second by the jets. That's just kind of the, the way that the wind is blowing with the jets right now in picking up Zach Wilson. But it's like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago when we mentioned Justin Fields, this guy is a dual threat quarterback. He's 6'3", and he's ex- he's extremely efficient and doesn't turn the ball over that often. So when you look at him, I think if you if you plug him in into pretty much any system, he's going to be able to provide some great plays for the offense. I think he's going to be able to bring some confidence that the offense is going to be just fine with him leading the way. It'll be interesting to see where he goes. I don't know where specifically he's going to end up. It Hopefully really it's not 24. Yeah, that that mock draft that NFL.com had last week was just so disrespectful to Justin Fields. He's not going to be the 24th pick. If he falls out of the top 10, as far as I'm concerned, it's a disrespectful move for Justin Fields. Good for you, though. You know what? Use it as fuel. If that's the case, if he falls out of the top 10, use it as fuel to get back at the NFL. For all the teams that did it? Yep. So you use it as fuel to get back at the teams that did not draft you. But as far as field skill sets go he is just as good as any other quarterback in this draft i just give the slight edge to trevor but justin's a great quarterback and i think he's going to be just fine uh once he gets into the nfl and then for number three i'm gonna go with kyle pitts kyle pitts is just a phenomenal athlete and i know that he's listed as a tight end really he is one of those players that is a hybrid true and through just because he is a mismatch nightmare, or he's a he's a matchup nightmare for opposing defenses. This guy is 6'6", 240, and can run a 4'3", 4'4", What tight end have you ever heard can run that type of speed? It's, it's insane. My and dog can. My I dog. I mean, he is going to be – just a monster when he gets in, into the league. I I truly believe that this, this guy right here is probably the best tight end prospect that we've seen come out of college football in quite some time. And I don't know where he's going to end up. If I had to take a guess, it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up on Atlanta. Ugh, and suck, dude. It, it, suck. it's just that if that's where he goes, that's where he goes. So just I, I will say this, if if the Falcons end up keeping Julio Jones, it would actually kind of relieve some pressure off of Jones a little bit because then they do have to account for Kyle in that instance. And so, Calvin Ridley. Yeah, 
That's gonna be a, that would be a nice three man. He ran a four four. It wasn't a four three four. It was a four four. Okay, I knew it wasn't a four three. Still, well, as a tight end, ridiculous. When I said four, I didn't mean four three four. I meant four three four four speed. That's what that's what I meant. I didn't know what specifically oh. his forty time was. No, 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 no you're good, you're in, that, in that. I want you know we have our fans that love to specifically quote us. So. Oh yeah. So, but I mean, with that said, it's just this guy is going to be. This guy's going to be a superstar in the NFL. I, oh, yeah. I, fu- I fully believe that if, if he doesn't turn out that way, I'm going to be extremely disappointed because of this guy, athletically speaking, and the way that he runs his route and can high point the ball, dude's going to be a monster. Could be an absolute yeah. monster. Please, uh, please don't go to Atlanta. Please, God. Number four, I have Jamar Chase. I think Jamar Chase is probably the best wide receiver in this draft. If as long as you don't consider Kyle Pitts as a receiver, I think Jamar is a better version of Anquan Bolden, except he's faster. Anquan Bolden back in the day, he ran like a four seven forty. Jamar runs like a four four. This guy is a speedster. He's great with those 50-50 balls. And no matter where he goes, he is going to be a reliable target for whatever quarterback's throwing to him. He had great success in LSU, whether it was Joe Burrow throwing it to him or somebody else. He was the go-to target on that team. And I think it's going to be more of the same when he gets into the NFL. Hopefully, he just doesn't experience any sort of injuries, doesn't have to deal with anything significant as far as the injuries go in his career. But this dude is going to be a great receiver in the NFL. And I think he's also very similar to Kyle Pitts, I think he's going to have kind of like that superstar trajectory once he gets into the league. And then my fifth guy, I know you mentioned him, even though you, you picked uh, Devontae Smith. I picked uh, Panay Saywell simply because he's probably the best offensive line prospect in this year's draft. This guy's a top five draft pick simply just because he is a lockdown on the left side of the line here. And it's like you mentioned, to have just a rock on that offensive line is extremely important. And I know it gets overlooked a lot because those guys are in the trenches. They do the dirty work, but having a guy like that is absolutely necessary and crucial to have a competent, well-run offense. It opens up run lanes. Who are you telling me? I'm Bro, just, Quinn Nelson. Quinn I'm Nelson. I'm telling you. Like, three-time All-Pro, three-time Pro Bowler. You could plug this guy in at guard or tackle. He's versatile in that aspect. And he had a great career in Oregon. I imagine he'll be doing more of the same when he gets into the NFL. And whoever ends up picking him up, they're getting a rock. It better be Cincinnati. Side. It better yep. be Cincinnati. You're Joey to- need it. Yep, they're going to need to protect his blind side. You have somebody like that on the edge. Coming off of an ACL injury, bro, he needs that. He needs that stuff. Because for yep. the most part, here's where we get into our next segment. This is a perfect segue. Bro, the first four picks, in my opinion, are already set in stone. It's going to be Trevor. It's going to be Zach. San Francisco, Kyle Shanahan has publicly stated that they're narrowing their results or narrowing their decision from Mac Jones or Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. Mm-hmm. So they're going quarterback. Atlanta is probably going to do Kyle Pitts or best available. They might do the uh, offensive lineman out of Oregon. But if they do go Kyle Pitts, Cincinnati, to me, it's an automatic no-brainer. You have to. Cincinnati's offensive line, I mean, Joe Burrow looked like Pat Mahomes in the Super Bowl, but every week. Like, 
Yeah. He was running from his for his life outside of Carson Wentz having the season that he had in Philadelphia, but that's neither here nor there. Um, dude, if you if you if you want to have a beautiful commercial like the like the Bengals did in advertising their brand new jersey schemes and setups, and you want Joe Burrow to continue to be standing upright even though he was sitting in the commercial, you need to protect your franchise because Joe Burrow, while on that field, even though Cincinnati was losing games, single handedly was keeping them relevant. Yeah. And if he's kept upright. Cincinnati might even be 500. Dude, this team is good in terms of a lot better than what people understand. They have a great running back in Joe Mixon. They have a solid wide receiver core in Tyler Boyd and uh, T. Higgins. They have good young tight ends. They literally just need an offensive line, and Joe Burrow is going to get it done for you, man. So I think it's a literal. The first five picks, for the most part, in my opinion, are easy decisions, and I think that that means Miami right off rip they go after Jamar Chase and they go get themselves a stud because yep. they, they, there's no reason a receiver is going to be picked in these first five picks. Yeah. So, I mean, so, it's, yeah. it's, where do you think, um, if Mac Jones ends up going to the 49ers, where do you think Trey Lance ends up going? Cause I, I know that he would, I know that he was mentioned in the whole 49ers discussion between him and um, Mac Jones. It's just, if the 49ers go with Jones, where do you think Trey goes to? If you had to I don't, take a I, I, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at the order and I'm just trying to figure out in my head where he could possibly fall. And is it going to be Miami because they have Tua. And I'm thinking, does Detroit roll the dice in case Jared Goff trade doesn't pan out? I mean, Detroit isn't exactly the greatest team in the world and they need a lot of pieces. But we all know Jared Goff isn't the greatest. So – I honestly think that the Lions got bamboozled in this swap. I mean, yeah, they got picks out of it. That's great. But, I mean, mm-hmm. quarterback-wise, you took a massive decrease or, like, you know, like a, a, a – what's the word I'm looking for? You took a hit. They took, yeah, they took, they took a hit. So, would I be surprised? No. Uh, obviously, Carolina's out of the mix now because they just traded for Sam Darnold. Denver's got a carousel of quarterbacks over there. We all know John Elway loves drafting quarterbacks that don't pan out. So, could Denver be it to motivate Drew Locke? Maybe. So, I mean – I'm not sold on Trey Lance, man. I don't really have a lot of expectations. I mean, again, North Dakota State breeded Carson Wentz and or bred Carson Wentz, and he had a great first couple of years towards ACL injuries, and we all know the story that transcended from there. But, I mean, Denver's got a fucking plethora of potential in the receiving core that they have. So, I mean, it would make sense to draft a young quarterback. We have Tim Patrick, we have Cortland Sutton, and we have, a, we have Noah Fant. And there's another receiver out there that got hurt this year too. I mean, they just they have a great young offensive team. Well, they have Jerry Judy. And Jerry, that's why I forgot. I mean, come on, bro. Jerry Judy was also on that Alabama list that I forgot to mention. But I'm just saying in general, Denver makes sense, but I also don't know enough about Trey, and I don't know what Denver's thinking. We all know that um, John Elway is very unorthodox in his draft ways, and he has literally had absolute dog shit luck since drafting um and oh well, look at that the Yankees are losing more um it's now four to one so um the potential of Trey Lance going there is probably relatively high because if you continue to look down this list uh the next available team that would draft a quarterback would have to be Philly at 12 so I mean we talked about this a couple of weeks ago if Justin Fields were to fall we went down this list and I, I'm, I'm standing by what I said a lot of the teams that proceed after uh Philly don't need quarterbacks until you guys. 
until the Patriots, yeah. And then obviously the Raiders, but there was a report that the Raiders are looking at Trey Lance if he happens to fall that low. But I mean, what 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 grinds my gears first and foremost? We're literally sitting here. We're talking about Mac Jones being the third overall pick. Are you like? Are people smoking crack? Like we're saying that Mac Jones is better than Justin Fields. Like no disrespect to Mac Jones, absolutely zero. The kid absolutely balled out. 4,500 total yards last year, 41 touchdowns, four picks. Like, incredible. Great year. But he also played with one of the most loaded offenses in college football last year. Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith, Najee Harris, and obviously Nick Saban, and they won the national championship. Like, bro, they were just uh, – they had one of those Alabama years that they haven't had in a while in terms of they just smoked everybody. And I think that Mac Jones is a product of the system. You have arguably the best receiver in college football on your team. You have one of the best running backs in college football. And then you have uh, just, just, just talent all around him on every aspect of this team. And Kyle Shanahan is literally just sitting here just licking his fingers saying, he reminds me of a young Matt Ryan. I, I don't see the comparison. He's really only had one season. He subbed in for Tua last year because Tua got hurt and he played good. But this was his first year. I'm, and somebody said on Twitter, I don't, again, we talked about this. I keep saying off air like we're on the radio, but we talked about this prior to the episode. And someone said they see a lot of Mitchell Trubisky in him, a one-year wonder. And to that person, I say, shut the fuck up because I think you're ridiculous. Duro, Mitchell Trubisky was playing in North Carolina in a shitty ACC outside of Clemson. And we all know what happened to Mitchell Trubisky. This man, Mac Jones, absolutely carved up the whole SEC this year. And he had a phenomenal season that carried them into a national championship. Once again, I also believe is a product of the system. So I don't think that he deserves to be number three, especially not over Justin. I definitely don't see him being better than this is not biased. I just think Kyle Trask is a better overall quarterback than Mac Jones. I just see that Kyle had a lot to deal with, with a lot of injuries on our team, not to mention inconsistencies with play calling on the coaching staff. That ex, I know it sounds biased. I'm just saying it is. Kyle had – anyway, whatever. That's just my opinion. Go with it. Uh, Mac Jones is not the third best player in this draft. Mac Jones definitely is not the second or third best quarterback in this draft. But Kyle Shanahan is literally saying, I want him. And then the front office of the 49ers are saying that they want Trey Lance. So it's a matter of who's going to give and who has more power. So I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen here. I really don't. I'm confused. I mean, I have a mock draft pulled up here. And I mean, the first couple of picks are pretty obvious. You know, they've got Trevor going number one, Zach going number two. This one's kind of odd, though, for the top, for the third pick. They, this uh, mock draft, this is CBS, by the way, they have Justin going three to the 49ers. That no, actually, not happening. I know it's not happening, but it, it, it would be more in line with what I think as far as prospects what he's yes yes agrees justin fields go to san francisco i think that would be phenomenal yep how shanahan can fix their questionable his questionable off the field or questionable on the field antics how shanahan's an offensive guru he's got he's got sort of the the epilepsy thing that he takes medication for i don't even think that's really that big of an issue he'll be fine um they got kyle pitts number four um going to to atlanta they have saywell going to the Bengals. um Number six, they have Jamar Chase going to the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins. That would be that'd be mm-hmm. great. Great now, for Tua. Yep. Now they have Trey Lance going to number 
they, they have him going at number nine to Denver. So they're thinking that J- John Elway is going to pull the trigger, even though they have Drew Locke and go get Trey Lance. And then they Lock don't, has been a, a shy of inconsistent to say the least. So they have Devontae Smith going at 11 to the Giants. They have Jalen Waddle going to the Eagles at number 12. They don't have Stupid. Mac Jones going until 15 to New England. And this is why we don't listen to CBS. <laughs> it's just, I think Mac Jones is probably going to be picking like the, I, I don't know. I think he's going to go number three. I think he's going to go number number I think, three. I think that's crazy. It's just, it's I just the way that it, I think it is too. I would go with Justin over Mac. I just that's how I see it. I do. I do think though that Mac Jones has potential. Agreed. I, yes. I, no dis- I, again, I said no disrespect. I just don't know if it's in the best interest for his career to go to the 49ers. I think if he were to go to some team like New England, I think he would actually have more success there. Because I, I don't know necessarily that they would be putting a lot of pressure on him immediately. I think they would focus on trying to establish yeah. a decent run game around him to get him comfortable. I think they like. I'm just saying hypothetically, if Mac Jones goes to the Patriots at 15, I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with that. It's just that they're. It's not going to be like okay, he's you know going to be a superstar as soon as he walks out onto the field. They're going to have to build him up to get him comfortable in the system. Very similar to what Brady was. Brady was a six round pick, but they are kind of similar. Matt Jones does have, does have that look of a system quarterback, but performed very well within the system. Brady did very well with Michigan. Wasn't drafted until the sixth round, but look how he turned out to be. I'm just saying that they may take a very similar route with Matt Jones, like they did with Brady, develop him his first couple of years, let him get comfortable. And, just rely on a running game and defense until he's comfortable enough to take over the offense. And that's if he were to fall. It's a hypothetical. Hypotheticals are always fun. It's just that it'd be crazy picking Mac Jones over Justin Fields. I'm sorry. I know he won. I know he won a national championship. It's just that I think that Justin Fields is a better all-round quarterback. I just, you know, now that now that I keep thinking about it, and we think about the teams, or should I say, the quarterbacks that um, Kyle's had, uh, in reference to head coach Kyle Shanahan, dude, he's had relatively pocket passing quarterbacks. He had Kirk Cousins in Washington, he had um, Matt Ryan in Atlanta, Matt Ryan in Atlanta, and then now he's got Jimmy Garoppolo, who's probably the younger of all of them. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's these are the quarterback he likes true pocket passing quarterbacks system quarterbacks and i think that maybe with kyle shanahan drafting mac jones does that mean it's officially it's 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 donezo for jimmy jimmy where do you go do they package him do they trade him draft night i don't know but i just i agree with you completely i really do think that justin is gonna i think justin's a better prospect but when you really do look at the quarterbacks of the past for kyle i I think mac fits the fits the bill i listen i know we didn't give him a lot of a discussion here, but Zach Wilson going to the Jets at number two. Man, I'm not even wasting my time with this organization. Then people wonder why I don't. I don't got beef with the Jets, but it's like, bro, they're like a walking dumbass facility, bro. Like you trade Jamal Adams, you sign Le'Veon Bell, then you cut him. You freaking get all of these other players. Like who was it? C.J. Mosley ends up getting hurt. 
Then they uh, did they cut him or trade him? Is he still on the roster? I don't even fucking know. Now you're looking at you, you trade Sam Donald for peanuts, and you're going after Zach Wilson, who played at BYU, who doesn't even have a fucking conference, and has played a bunch of random no name schools playing one ranked opponent, that being Coastal Carolina. And you're going to sit here and tell me he's the second best quarterback in the fucking draft? Man, this this is why I say the New York Jets are always going to be the butt jokes. And I mean that with the pun intended of the butt fumble that Mark said just had against the Patriots. It, they genuinely just make stupid decisions. You're going to sit here and tell me right after Trevor Lawrence, quarterbacks aside, this guy's the second best player in the draft. You're crazy. I don't care how, I don't care if you can throw a hundred yards with your eyes closed on one knee. That doesn't mean you're good. Let me ask you this, just, just to throw my team in here. If he went to New England, I'm just saying hypothetically, I know he's not. Would that be more realistically a more realistic spot in the draft? Like yes. at that 15 spot? Yes, not only because of that, but because Bill Belichick, we already know, is not going to fucking start a rookie out of pure hype. Cam Newton is there on a contract, so he will shadow it and learn at some point for at least more than half the season. Yep. And you guys have better offensive talent than the Jets do anyway. Mm-hmm. Like. The Patriots have a great defense. The Jets are okay. The Patriots are trending offensively with all of their free agent acquisitions. The Jets are okay. And you're going to sit here and say a rookie head coach and Robert Sala is going to be better positioned to coach a rookie quarterback better than Bill Belichick? Like, no, the Jets are just continuing to do stupid decisions. Woody Johnson is continuously laughed at as one of the worst general managers in this league. And... I just I don't I don't know what the hell is going on in their mind, and I, I I don't feel bad for them anymore. Like I really don't. When I was younger, I was just like, damn, the Jets suck, man. And then it's just like, no, they do it to themselves. I'm just saying, like when when I look at when I see Zach Wilson, like if this There's were potential. just potential, if, if this was just me, like I think like a good spot like for him would be like pick 19. That would mean he he'd go to Washington. Washington. Now, granted, they did sign Taylor Heineke, but you don't know if he's the long term guy to go exactly. for Washington. It was a two-year deal. It wasn't anything long. Ryan Fitzpatrick, so, one-year deal. So, and then after that, you got the Bears at 20. They need a quarterback. And look, when you th- when you look at Zach Wilson, that's where I would kind of see him in his draft stock. Kind of yeah, like a mid- gamble uh, later. You don't uh, take uh, it first. A, a mid to late first round draft Agreed. pick. I, I, I think he's I think he's definitely viable for a first round pick. I, I think him being a second round pick is probably a little bit of realistic well it's just that with the way that i see it going this year i I still think that this guy is a first round draft pick but i would say more to the mid to later round in the draft not the second pick that is no way no way no i mean look i will say this though just to defend him here because i i kind of have to take this stance just in this instance when you look at carson wentz Carson Wentz was not going up against what I would consider premier teams. Mm-hmm. And yet he went to the Eagles and basically played an MVP season before he tore his ACL. Mm-hmm. Now, could that happen here with Zach Wilson? Maybe. No, Maybe. no, no. Let me finish. Let me finish. I'm hedging my bets against it. That's how I kind of see it. Am I going to rule it out entirely? No but I'm hedging my bets against it. Like for me, the way that I see it, if you were like to take like a, 
a 60, 40, 70, 30 split. The way that I see it, there's an 80% chance that he turns out either average or so-so. And there's like a 20% chance of him actually being good in the league. That's just kind of how I see it. So, and him going to the Jets, he is going to get destroyed there. Hopefully they can build up that offensive line. There's there's just no. There's just no way. Dude, you can't compare because the Eagles had a great team surrounding Carson Wentz mm -hmm. in that year. Nelson Aguilar, just a known speedster. They had a fast guy down the field to stretch the defense. Alshon Jeffrey, one of the better receivers at the time. Yeah. Go up and get it. Long, big target, end zone threat. Torrey Smith. Another speedster, just a guy to stretch the field and continue. And then you had Zach Ertz, one of the best tight ends in football. And then you had the backfield of LeGarrette Blunt, Jay Ajayi, all of these fucking players that were just absolutely incredible. What the hell is Zach fucking Wilson going to go into? Dog shit. Yeah. And a defensive-minded head coach. So everybody's sitting here talking about Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson. Who the fuck are you throwing to? Who's running? Who's your starting running back? What, what what are y'all going to do on the defensive end? Other than your left tackle, where's the rest of your offensive line? There's just there's a multitude of questions. There's a multitude of holes. And it's just like the kid, again, no disrespect. Carson Wentz went out and did it out of North Dakota State. Maybe Trey Lance can repeat that, that, that success. But, dude, BYU, what? What? what why? No, not, he's not the second best like player said, in this draft. He's, he's not going up against premier talent. I, I'll give you that. No. It's yeah, just that. Not, no. I'm not going – it's like I said, I'm not shutting the door slam on this guy's face yeah. saying that he's going no, to be no, no. a bust going there. That That's disrespectful. But I just don't think that this guy's talent says that he's a second pick in the draft. That's just the way that I see it. But if the Jets want to be that way, that's fine. You reap what you sow. And hopefully you don't kill this kid when he's getting rushed all game. Because yeah. if they fix if they fix the offensive line, great. If they can't, Zach's will, he's just going to be running for the rest of his life. Being Yeah. We saw what Sam Donald had to deal with. We yeah. saw Joe Flacco have to go in there. We saw freaking, who was it? Trevor Simeon had to go in there. It, yeah. was, a, it was a carousel of quarterbacks last year because they had no protection. It was bad. It was bad. And so it is, it, it, it is it might, what it is on that front. It might be more of the same. Exactly. It, it is what it is. But, you know, like, I'm not going to sit here and continue to talk about the, the what ifs or potentials of all of these players or why. Um, there's actually real NFL news. Today, Ian Rappaport reported that the Atlanta Falcons were receiving multiple phone calls about the availability of pro, pro Bowl former All-Pro wide receiver Julio Jones being available for trade. And Kyle, I just want to get your thoughts. I know we usually are on the same pathway here in terms of thought process. So I'm just I'm, I'm feeling the vibes that we on the same path right now. So what are your thoughts on Julio Jones becoming or the potential of him becoming available via trade? It's definitely an enticing piece to pick up via trade. I will say this though. Julio's in that time of his career where there's going to be some drop off. He's 32 years old. This is not Julio Jones that we saw in Super Bowl 51 against the Patriots because he was in his prime a couple years ago when going up against the Patriots in that Super Bowl. He's coming off of a decent year with Atlanta, but it's just, he is starting to get older. 
compared to most NFL receivers. And when you look across the board, I think Julio Jones is still one of the best receivers that this game has to offer. So if any team has has the assets to move for Julio Jones, I think it's worth trading for. However, though, for how long? How long are you going to be able to put him on the team, keep him on the team for? I just don't know if it's really within these teams' best interest to sign him to a four or five year deal, just because I don't think he's going to provide great dividends or have a great return on the investment once he gets into those later years of the contract, because he's going to be in his mid thirties at that point. Granted, he is still a great red zone threat. He's one of the best receivers in the game currently. It's just, he's 32 years old. Yeah. You're going to start seeing his production start to tail off a little bit. I'm not saying that he's going to just fall off a cliff. That's not going the Max Kellerman route here. I'm not saying that. It's just no. that I think what you're going to see is a small step down as the years progress. And honestly, I think probably by his mid thirties, maybe around 35, 36, I think he hangs it up. So I think these teams have to keep that in mind is that yes, granted Julio is still one of the best receivers in the league. It's just that I don't think it's going to be that it's, I don't think it's going to be the case like that for three, four years down the road. I think teams have to consider that. Yeah. I mean, Again, we usually are on the same page. I agree completely. Um, Julio Jones is 100%. When you hear the name Julio Jones, you automatically think of a guy jumping up in the end zone on a double team. Matt Ryan throwing a Hail Mary. The guy just soaring up above defenders and going and getting it. A guy that just runs great routes with great hands and is just a, a great playmaker. But when now you start to actually think about Julio Jones in recent years, you start to think about how many games has he missed? How many injuries has he had? At, at 32 years old, the man has not played a full season in God knows how long. Uh, don't even get me started of his inconsistencies in fantasy. One game he'll have a total of like 50 yards, and the next game he goes off for a buck 80 and three scores. So he's definitely not the most consistent player in the league in terms of productivity. And then you sit here and say, well, he's guaranteed another three years on his contract. So this upcoming season – He's due to about he's due about fifteen million dollars next season. He's due eleven, and the season after that, he's due another eleven. So whoever trades for him is inheriting a pretty decent knot in terms of paying him out financially over the next three years. I will say that he does he does still draw first round pick attention in terms of trade. His value is still there because of the potential of what he could be, but. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm giving it. I know that Pat McAfee spoke about it today about, you know, what, what if, uh, you know, what could the Colts do? Would they trade their number 21 overall pick for Julio Jones and some other considerations? I say, Pat, shut up because we already have an injury prone quarterback, an injury prone number one wide receiver, an injury prone second receiver in Paris Campbell and an injury prone backfield in Mar Marlon Mack. So do we need another injury-prone player on this roster who we're going to pay another massive nugget to? Absolutely not. It sounds great on paper, but we all know that Julio Jones can't stay healthy for the life of him. So I say you stay far the fuck away from my team because I have enough worrying on Sunday afternoons of who the hell else is going to come out of my game and say, well, shit, he's out for the next three or four weeks. He's out for the season. So no thank you. But again, the upside of Julio Jones is insane. Automatic double team, crazy playmaker, and like you said, an end zone threat. So 
competitive teams that can go out there that need a receiver, the New England Patriots, just have another massive weapon out there for Cam to throw to. Maybe the the Carolina Panthers, they go out there and, and they pair up Julio Jones. I don't think they'll trade him inside the division, but I'm just saying in general, that would be nice. CMC, Sam Darnold, and the cap space that they're creating, who knows, maybe some draft picks and some capital will come available. They'll maybe draft a better offensive line, a better defense. Um, Seattle, Russell Wilson gets another target. I know that it's not an offensive line, but I'm just spitballing teams here that are competitive. Um, you know, there are plenty of teams that could use the talents of a Julio Jones. Maybe uh, even something that crossed my mind earlier, a wide receiver swap, Odell Beckham Jr. for Julio Jones. I'm just thinking out loud here. I'm just, you know, creativity. Odell's younger. Odell may have a little bit, you know, uh, more of an upside because he's younger. But, you know, Cleveland's in a win-now mode, so maybe they want that aggressive go-up-and-get-it kind of guy. So I don't know. But Julio Jones becoming available does create an interesting headline. It does create an interesting story before draft day coming up on Thursday. But Ian also did report the trade more than likely would not come until after June 1st because I believe if he is traded or is not on the roster – up, up until June 1st, our Atlanta hit, takes a massive cap hit, and they just cannot afford to take that hit and lose him at the same time. So we'll see what happens after June 1st, but him becoming available is an immediate, like, eye-drawing topic. Did you know that he holds the NFL record for most yards uh, per game? Yeah, 95.3 or something like that. It's higher than Marvin Harrison, it's, and the second is, like, 85-point-something with Jerry Rice. You were close. It was a 95.3. It was 95.5. You were very close. Good, good on you. I know you were struggling with numbers before we started the episode, but you yeah, got that a one. off. Yeah, you got that one. That was a good one. But no, I think he's still got good years left, probably two to three. It's just once he gets into those mid thirties, you could see some really, you could see some, you could see some production drops here. That's just kind of how I yeah. see it. It's just, but there's that, a potential out in the 2022 season. So after that, he could become a free agent of 2023, but there will have to be a dead cap hit of $7.5 million. So he can become a free agent a year early at the age of 34. So a team that trades for him would only have to pay him two years. You know, it's, it's just, are we going to see him take the route that Larry Fitzgerald has taken the last couple of years where maybe he can come up big in certain moments or is he just going to retire from the game, leaving on a high note instead of maybe dragging it out a couple of years playing, you know, average uh, NFL receiver type play? What high he note? Did, I, it's Atlanta tough. sucks. It's tough. because He's had a great career already. I mean, the guy mm-hmm. has 850 receptions and almost 13,000 yards receiving. So, Hall of Famer, for sure. Yeah, he, he, this guy deserves to be in the Hall of Fame with those numbers. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, yeah, it's just, it's like you said, is he going to go on a high note or is he going to kind of like meander into retirement like the way that Larry Fitzgerald has kind of taken that route the last couple of years? I would like I to see him go out on a high note. I, I, I don't see him retiring because, again, he is still more dynamic. He's faster than Larry. He still has that ability to go out and get the ball. I just want to see him play for a competitive team. The teams that I named are reasonable. Maybe San Francisco goes out and make a big move and they go trade for him and they have Julio Jones and Jimmy Garoppolo, Julio Jones and Mac Jones. I don't know. Maybe Alabama reunites. I'm just saying he needs to go somewhere where his talents are going to be utilized. And again, I bring it back to the Kyle Pitts portion. If Julio leaves, that's one less weapon for Atlanta. Do they trade Matt Ryan? 
Do they stick with Calvin Ridley and give him an extension? Do they go into full rebuild mode? I, I have no idea. We all know they are a mediocre team because of the performance they had last year. Ever since they lost the Super Bowl, they are the team that genuinely blows leads like I blow out of a tissue, bro. I'm sitting here like every morning I got my allergies, bro. Atlanta is like a used fucking tissue. They just, they know what to do. They know what they're used for. One use and it's gone. They had that one year. Matt Ryan had an MVP season ever since then. Like absolute shit. So I don't know what's going on here. Atlanta is in a very odd predicament. Matt Ryan is getting way up there in years and that offense is only getting younger. And it's just a matter of, hey, what are we going to do here? Because we are very limited as to what we're going to do. Yeah. It's just, it'll be interesting to see uh, where he goes. I think, I think we'll see what happens with the draft. That'll kind of give us an inkling or a clue on what the Falcons are going to do with Jones going into, you know, the early days of summer. Yeah. But it would be odd to see him not on the Falcons next year. It'd be It's going to be weird. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, would be odd not seeing him in a Falcons jersey, but if he goes to a playoff contending team, potentially a Super Bowl contending team, I think it would be great. He definitely deserves it. He's putting his time in, and I think if he ends up on a great team, a great for I think it'd be great for him. Hopefully, he Ooh, you know hopefully, three. hopefully he gets some sort of you know crack at a Super Bowl within the next couple of years because he doesn't have that many years left. Yeah, he had his one taste of the Super Bowl, but like I said, they blew that lead. So anyway, transitioning into the next segment, um, we don't really have much else. I mean, we're just going to go over some quick NBA news. I mean, there's nothing really crazy. Uh, Obviously, Anthony Davis is back in the mix for the Lakers. The Lakers did lose two in a row to Dallas uh, this past weekend. Uh, Luka played, eh, played okay. Um, What else we got? The the 76ers are on a four-game skid. The Knicks are still out here dominating on nine in a row. Uh, the Wizards are actually trending in a crazy direction. They're on an eight-game win streak. I didn't even realize that they are three games out of the eighth seed in the postseason. Russell Westbrook has had 20 triple-doubles in his last 30 games, and it is just absolutely, positively insane that Brody is still doing the things that he's doing, and he's basically averaging a triple-double this season. So, I mean, he's willing them through with Bradley Beal, and those that, that duo is actually turning out to be one of the better duos in the league. But, I mean – other than that, the, the the NBA is kind of still at a, at a at a stagnant point. We're still waiting for the postseason. The Jazz are still up top. Clippers are on a four game win streak. The Lakers are on a three game skid. The Trailblazers are on a seven game skid. And you know, Stephen Curry is still trying to find a way to literally fucking drag the Warriors into the postseason. Believe it or not, they have fallen down to ten, and they are. They are a half game out of the Spurs for the ninth spot, and they are two games out of the Grizzlies for the eighth spot. And if Portland continues to lose, uh, things may or may not shift. The bottom, what is it? The literal bottom five or bottom six teams in the Western Conference are like three or four games apart. So, I mean, these last 10 games, 10, 12 games are going to be insane. Yeah, because they're all setting it up for a potential – you know, playing series to make it into the playoffs. So yeah. that's kind of the, that's really the wrinkle that's different this year compared to years past. Usually they would just take the top eight seeds and that would be what you would go with into the playoffs. But the play-in situation is a little bit different this year. So I think the part that really surprised me is the fact that the Wizards have played themselves into a possible yeah. playoff race 
just with the way that they've been playing the last two weeks or so. I've just been shocked that the Wizards were able to make some sort of turnaround because, dude, they were like one of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, they were like a 10-game skid at one point, yeah. I mean, it was bad. I mean, Bradley Beal was having conversations with himself, trying to calm himself down after he would go out and score 40, 45 points, and they would still lose. So He's the only player in NBA history to score back-to-back 50-point games and have both L's. You're not losing you know how hard of, that is? <laughs> you're not losing because of him, bro. Tell you that. I don't know. But, I mean, just looking across the rest of the board here, um, the 76ers and, and the Nets kind of flip back and forth between that one and two seed. Um, I do want to mention, give some props to Kevin Durant for coming back. Came back from, what, what did he injure? Yeah, he had that quad thigh issue. Goes back, drops 33 points in 28 minutes. Super efficient. Off the bench, bro. He was cooking cooking like always Insane. so actually uh the sixers are not on a four game skid i think they won last night i believe they won last night did they really? so, i think so they're on a one game winning streak so oh, they did they did beat the, the thunder by like 34 31 yeah. but, there. bro it. the knicks the knicks man I, I remember I talked about it on the last episode where you weren't here. Yeah, I saw. Yep. I was like, man, they were they were two and a half games back at the time. Well, now they're down three and a half because I think the Bucks won the other day. Or they're okay, they're three and a half behind the Bucks. So possible. Could could they slide into that three spot? I I don't know. Maybe possible. They're running out of time though. Playoffs oh, yeah. are coming very close, but we'll see. I mean, and then you look at the rest of the Eastern Conference. Hawks are chilling at that five spot. You got Boston at six. They're tied for record. Like the Knicks have the advantage in terms of season series, which is why they're the fourth seed. But Atlanta and the Knicks are the same exact record. No, they're not. 34 and 27? The Hawks are 34 and 28. The Knicks are half half game up. Oh, Jesus Christ. What the hell, Google? Giving me damn misinformation twice now, making me look like a fool? Shit. But – yeah, I really want to see what this, what the Wizards can do here. If they could really make a good stretch, make this last month of the season count, you know, could they crack the top eight? I mean, it's not that far of a stretch. They only have to chase Indiana and the Hornets after, after that. And the way that I look at it, they're only three games behind the Hornets at the eight spot. So and they're still waiting for Lamelo to get cleared. So they're, it's they're, possible they're definitely within striking distance. In the Western Conference, nothing much has really changed here. Um, Dallas it's set up one spot. That's it. Yeah, but it's just because the freaking Portland's been playing like ass lately. Yeah, but our offense has been playing pretty good, and we're kind of missing like four or five players tonight. Uh, I'm pretty sure Luca, KP, and a list of other players aren't playing tonight due to some. But, Minor but relative injuries, so but who knows? The Mavs are on a three-game winning streak. You have the Blazers on a five-game losing streak. And just looking at the rest of the, the bottom half of the playoff seating for the Western Conference goes, what's going to happen with Golden State? They're treading water right now. You know, they're they're essentially tied with the Spurs at the nine spot. So, yeah. You know, they're, no, 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 they're, they're, they're not floating. Stephen Curry is the single-handed fucking life vest, keeping them above he's, the water. He's just dragging the team. He dropped 37 this weekend. Was man nuts. cut that hair, said that. Kyle said he got that fade, and that boy started cooking again, man. He had that one-off game, and he said, man, I'm cutting this shit off. I ain't doing it no more. 
I said, I, I told Kevin, it was like, look, you got that fade. It's over for the league. It's over. League about to catch the fade too. Shit. Yep. So it's it's very interesting to to watch this Warriors team. Uh, it just sucks that Clay's not on the team this year with the injury. You saw that video, right? Like after their loss, where Steph kind of had like a little fit where he got a T. Um, after that game, he went right up to, to to Clay, and they were just like sitting there, and you could see like Clay visibly like frustrated. Like I just want to be out there. I just want to help. I just yep. want to play. And their relationship, like Steph's yep. just sitting there consoling him, and obviously you can't see Steph's lips and you can't see Clay because Clay's wearing a mask. But it's the point of. Can you imagine that conversation the two of them are having? Like his literal teammate, his brother, his running mate, his splash bro, is willing this team to every possible win, and Clay's got to sit there and watch. I could never, I could never, bro. That's it's, painful. It's tough. Like I felt that conversation, and we have no idea what they said. You could, you could kind of get the general direction or the general sense of what they were talking about. Oh yeah. You could, you, you could, you could just tell. You could just read the body language. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's going to be very interesting to see what these teams could pull off in the next month or so. So the playoffs start in the third week of May. We've got a, I, NBA it, playoff is coming at the right com- time, boy. It's coming around quick, so it'll be May as soon as you know it within the next couple of days or so, and uh, that's going to really set up a great. It's going to set up a great home stretch for these teams to to make some moves and try to get into the playoffs. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, and speaking again to, about my team, if I remember correctly, I was watching the end of the game on Saturday against the Lakers, and I believe one of the analysts said something along the lines of, in the Mavericks' next 10 games, we're playing seven teams under 500 or something like that, so we have a very favorable matchup going into the latter closeout the season. So we have a lot of winnable games that we need to capitalize on, and we need to gain momentum right now. You, so, guys, you guys might hop the we'll Lakers. See. You guys might hop the Lakers. You're only a game it and a really, half back. It, it really depends. Again, like I said, KP just rolled his ankle. Nothing significant. Just, you know, resting that. You have Luka that randomly had an elbow contusion that game against the Lakers, who's possibly getting rolled out. Max Akleba's got lower back issues. Josh Richardson's been batching a ha- battling a hamstring injury pretty much all season long. Um, and a couple of other players, man. It's just I'm looking at it and I'm just like, damn, is it, are injuries really going to hit us now when we have this stretch of like really winnable games or are we just going to sit here and just fuck it up like we normally do? So I don't know. I think you guys will be fine. I'm not worried about I you hope guys. So. I hope so. so. I, I would prefer playing Denver in the first round because Denver is hurt. Like Jamal Murray is hurt and Michael Porter Jr. is playing out of this world. But obviously everyone's just doubling Jokic and they're making Denver kind of, you know, everybody else on Denver beat them. So I would I would like a a, a, a Denver matchup, like a four or five seed, like a four versus five seed. And the top if three, I had to pick a matchup. In the top three seeds, nothing's really changed. The the Suns and the Clippers are tied for the two seed. Oh, um, Boogie Cousins signed his extension for the rest of the year, like Kyle and I predicted. That was one of our yep. segments that we forgot to bring in. Yep. Um, I mean, it's about good time. for you, Boogie. Good for you, time. Boogie. I mean, it does that. It, it adds some depth to the Clippers. So... I don't know how much they're going to utilize him, but you have a veteran leader on the bench. If you can, if you can plug him in, maybe get some decent minutes from him. I think that's pretty much the best you're going to get out of him. Obviously he's not the same after all the litany of injuries that he's dealt with the last couple of years. It's like I said, a couple of weeks ago, can't really jump anymore. And as a big man, you need to, to the be Pelicans able to... right now. Yeah. It's just it's a it's so Marcus a has ten. He's got ten. Oh, he's actually playing. Yeah, 
He gets minutes. How do he get minutes? That's not bad. Uh, good old Boogie. Good old Boogie. But it does add some depth. You know, they at least have they have Zubash down low. You got Boogie coming off the bench. So it's a it's a good uh late season addition for depth. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing to have. I think it's no, he gives I think it gives them a further position of they have probably one of the more aggressive teams. They have one of the Morris brothers, they have Boogie. They have Rondo. Like, they have a very gritty, chippy team. You know what I'm saying? They have Reggie Jackson. They have, like, that in-your-face kind of roster. And I think Boogie's, like, icing on the cake. Like, Boogie don't take no shit. Hey, we got to talk about Paul George for a little bit because he's actually been playing. He's hooping. He's, he's been hooping. decent. Like, he's he's been making some pretty solid dunks, too. He's been dunking. Yeah. In, I, I don't know if it's, like, what the Charlotte Hornets have been doing, but. No, 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 no. We're not, we're not talking about Miles, though. We're not going to get into that. I can't handle no. another Miles segment. No, it's just. But. As far as this season's gone for Paul George, he's been playing pretty stellar basketball. I know we've been giving him a lot of grief for what he did last year in the bubble. Mind you, he was awful in the bubble last year. And the Yankees lose. They lost? Yeah. What was the score? 4-2. Oh, sorry, Pop. That's all right. You know, Paul, Paul George been hooping. I'm pretty sure. Like, tonight he's only got nine. He's having a bad night. He had 33 against the Rockets, was rested against the Grizzlies, had 33 against Portland, 23 against uh, Minnesota, 37 against the Sixers, didn't play against the Pistons, 36 against the Pacers, 32 against the Pistons again. Stop. So, I mean, these are good he's numbers. Really good. Yeah, these yeah, are yeah. good no, numbers. He's playing, he's playing good. He's playing really good. About time. I was getting tired of seeing freaking George, George Paul because I was just absolutely fed up with him. All the hype behind him play like shit. Yeah. It's just, what's he going to do in the playoffs, though? That's the big key. We all know playoff P. You don't want to see Luca and them boys again. I'm about that action. Sure thing. I want I want the smoke. I want all the smoke. Yeah. All hit of that, it. Hit that game winner in their faces last year. I, 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 I sprinted out of my girlfriend's house in my socks, screaming at the top of my lungs, and I don't even live in that community. I'm almost positive I had, like, the cops call them because I was sprinting for, like, what felt like a mile in my socks. Lost a series, though. I'm aware. If KP doesn't get ejected, if KP doesn't get hurt, we probably win that series because they played like dog shit. We were in a lot of those games, and we didn't have our second-best player. That's all I'm going to say on that matter. We're not doing this again. Well, at least Denver uh, Denver put them away, but they were up 3-1. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Kawhi only had like 7-11 points or something like that. I don't fucking care. But anyway, um, that wraps it up for our segment. Um, I mean, we've pretty much touched – almost every major sport other than the NHL this episode. And I think it was a great content filled day guys. I believe if I correct me, if I'm wrong, Kyle, we are at 146 subscribers. We are literally four, excuse me, four away from 150, which is our goal for the end of the month. Um, guys, please. You already know if you have not subscribed, please like comment, share the video, wherever you got to do. We do genuinely appreciate every and all support that you've given up to this point. And uh, you know, Draft days on Thursday, man. Kyle and I are excited. We're going to give you some great content. Um, if I'm not mistaken, per our conversation prior to the episode starting the recording, um, it's going to be all in, all NFL draft news, uh, maybe some draft re- uh, recollection from previous drafts, maybe some top three picks of our existence, top worst picks of our existence in terms of us being alive. Uh, you know what I'm saying? It's going to be all NFL, all news all the time. We know that it's not the greatest content in terms of views, but – Draft day is very important for us, so we are very, very, very excited to bring that at least to you guys. Yeah, I look forward to it. Obviously, something else pops up throughout the week. 
you know, we'll definitely cover it if need be. But I don't think I'm going to really expect anything big from the NBA or MLB, the MLB at this point. MLB just started their season. So I think it's pretty much going to be all NFL going into Thursday. So I'm excited for it. Really interested to see who New England drafts at that 15 spot simply just because that's my team. But it'll be interesting to see where these top prospects go within the first five to 10 picks. And I'm definitely going to be interested in how it goes down. Oh yeah. Big time. I'm curious to see if Indy trades back. We traded back in every, almost every draft since Chris Ballard has been at the helm. And obviously we traded our pick last year for DeForest Buckner. So um, I'd be curious to see if we actually keep the first round pick this year, knowing that we need a left tackle and an edge rusher. So I'm definitely going to keep my eyes open to this draft a little bit more than our last couple. Not that I didn't pay attention, but I mean, we need a lot of pieces right now and I'm very, very, very worried about what we're going to do. Well, we'll find out on Thursday, man. Yes, sir. But like Kev said, that'll wrap it up from here. Once again, we thank you guys for tuning in, whether it was on YouTube, listening to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We always appreciate the support, whether wherever we can get it from. And we will see you guys on Thursday for just an episode packed with the NFL draft. So we'll see you guys then. And until then, take it easy, you guys. Later, guys. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid.